0: I, I'm human. I'm afraid of failure. I don't want to fail. And, you know, but those, like I said, in an odd way, some of those things, as bad as they sound, also act uh, as a catalyst toward the positive. Welcome to the Conversion Aid Podcast, where we help software entrepreneurs to take their business to the next level. Each week, we interview proven industry experts who share their strategies and insights to help you create software that sells. Here's your host. Omer Khan.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Conversion Aid podcast. I hope you are doing well. I've got another great guest for you today, and I'm excited to get started. Before I do that, I just want to remind you, if you haven't joined the Conversion Aid community, then you should do that right now. You'll get notified of new episodes right in your inbox, and it's a great way to learn from successful SaaS founders and entrepreneurs. Just go to conversionaid.com slash VIP and enter your email address to join. And with that, Let's get started with the interview. Okay, today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of VIP Orbit Software, a company focused on building great content uh, contact management products. Their flagship product, Viper CRM, is available on iOS and Mac platforms. Uh, the company was founded in 2010 and to date has raised over $4 million in funding. In nineteen 19- eighty Eighty-six. my guest co-founded a software business that eventually failed. And with only $15,000 remaining from an angel investment of $100,000, they had to come up with another idea or close down the business. The idea they came up with was ACT contact management software, which they eventually went on to sell for over $40 million. So today I'd like to welcome Mike Muni. Mike, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Omar. Great to be here.
1: Now, I, I'd like to sort of get started by asking my guests um, if they have a favorite quote or um, what gets them out of bed in the mornings. So, so what is it for you? Is there a quote that resonates for you? Or if not, just what is it that drives and motivates you to do what you do every day?
0: Well, I'll give you three things, if that's okay. Two quotes and, and one perspective of myself. Sure. Uh, the first quote, and it applies to certainly entrepreneurs, certainly just people in general as far as their relationships with both business and personal context. But the quote is this. It's from a poet, and I'm not a poetic kind of guy, by the way, but, but it does inspire me, uh, John Greenleaf Whittier in the 1800 era. And this is what he said. Of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, what might have been. And I apply that to myself personally, and and as an entrepreneur, because uh, I think most entrepreneurs, if not all, are obviously wanting to change the world to improve it to, you know, provide something of value to people to help them. And so, you know, we can't, fall back on wanting to do it, we have to try to execute to achieve having done it. And that's why I like that quote. You know, I don't, I don't want to live a life of what might have been. I want to at least plow my field and try to, you know, grow uh, what can be grown in the world and the market, uh, and everything else will come from that. Uh, the second quote that I like, and it's a baseball analogy, uh, imagine the batter standing up at the plate, uh, and this is the quote. Every attempt does not produce a hit, and every hit does not produce a home run. But every home run is the result of both the attempt and the hit. you got to play the game, uh, in my standpoint. Uh, And the the third item, the perspective of myself, Omer, is despite the success of ACT and uh, its impact literally on changing the world and creating a global industry today known as CRM, uh, I don't know that I've achieved what I've uh, been meant to achieve yet. And, and I live by an attitude of success ought to be a springboard and not a hammock. So uh, again, if I uh, look at act from the standpoint of, well, if I could do that, what more am I still capable of doing as opposed to resting on the laurels of act? And those are the things that keep me going every day in one shape or, or manner.
1: I, I I love that. Um, I love both the quotes and, um, it's it's great to it's great to hear that even after um having achieved what you did with act you still feel like there's you you're not done yet
0: oh very uh, much so very far <laughs> from it yeah
1: love that now you, when I was um doing research for for this interview um and i was i was searching for you, i kept on coming across a michael muni. And in in most cases, people, I guess would be you know pretty pretty kind of frustrated or annoyed if um, they had this kind of issue where you know somebody else has a similar name and they're coming up in the searches more often than maybe you are. But if I've done my research right, that's not a bad thing for you, right? Because of who Michael is.
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, I have to subordinate myself to uh, the Michael Muni, who is my oldest son. <laughs> and, and Michael Michael is an actor, successful actor in Hollywood, has uh, earned his entire career uh, acting and has done very well, has never had to wait on tables or anything of that nature. And so if you do a Google search and there's like whatever, 16 million um, results, probably 15,999,000 or Michael Muni, and I'm the, you know, dribble of the thousands. So yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm proud of him. But but, you know, as he was growing up, Omer, just like me, you know, he wanted to pursue his dream. And I definitely encouraged him because it was during that ACT era. And so I was kind of living a, a dream that I never imagined myself. And why wouldn't I encourage him to go after something that most people might be little bit uh, discouraging of in in one sense, because it's such a tough business.
1: Now, let's let's talk a little bit about ACT. So in the intro, I talked a little bit about um, how you and your co-founder were down to the last $15,000 and you had to come up with an idea. Where did the idea for ACT come from?
0: Well, I do like to answer that question by saying um, it came out of desperation. You did mention that we only had $15,000 left. And, you know, the thought of closing the business, uh, we didn't want to do that, obviously. We enjoyed having our own company. We were best friends. We wanted to work together. Uh, and we thought we could make a go of it from the product that did fail. And so, uh, got to go back into the context of that era. Laptops were a fairly new thing; very few people had them, and they weren't very good to begin with. Uh, people were using paper organizer systems. Primarily, I think, at least in America, uh, the daytimer. You know, other parts of the world, Philofax. But there was a paper system. We had to have you know some kind of organization, and uh, in our view, organization always was centered around the people that you were doing something with or for. So. Uh, a mentor suggested we have this brainstorm breakfast to see if we could come up with an idea, and we literally started out, Omer, by just saying to each other, "Okay, we're trying to come up with an idea. Uh, it, it, you know, ideally, if we could come up with something that we ourselves could use and benefit from, that would be better than just coming up with an idea that uh, of a product that other people could use but we couldn't." And so we looked at the uh, Daytimer, which we had with us at our breakfast, and we said, "Boy, if." If we could just turn this into a digital system uh, and, and structure it where there was more integration, seamless integration, what would it have to do? And we started this back and forth exchange. Well, we'd like it to do this. We'd like it to do that. And, and as we started talking, the uh, menu structure, if you will, the main menu structure began to form. And I still have that original napkin of that original menu structure and then a, kind of a subset of a you know, decision tree, if you will. And by the end of that four-hour brainstorm session, which we said we were going to have no matter what, we we're going to sit there no matter what for four hours and co- see if we can come up with an idea. When we left that breakfast, Omer, we knew we were onto something. And that's basically how it, how it happened. Desperation, what do we need ourselves and what would help us?
1: Looking back at that, do you think it was the – Idea that um, was was responsible for helping you build this successful business, um, or was it more about um, your you know where where you guys were and the sort of the sense of desperation and wanting to make things you know be successful? Um, I guess I'm wondering how much was it really about the idea? How much would it be if you had maybe if you had picked another idea? Maybe you guys would have been equally successful or maybe more successful. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's always possible. You know, it's a coulda, woulda, shoulda. Uh, and I've never really reflected back on that be, because once we uh, left that, that breakfast, uh, you know, we were walking three feet off the ground and our passion, our excitement, our hope, our, let's call it renewed hope, that maybe we could salvage uh, our business and, and pivot and recreate a, you know, another opportunity. Uh, is all that it took to charge us up. And what happened is that in two weeks later, uh, the angel investor out of Boston was coming down and he knew nothing about any of this. And so we spent those two weeks really priming the pump with each other, what this could mean. We obviously uh, completed the decision tree, we prototyped what the screens would look like so that we were equipped. To express our enthusiasm and let's call it, you know, new discovery uh, of an opportunity to the investor in the hope with no certainty, obviously, uh, but the hope of re enthusing him to stick with us. And and so we were, I I don't think we let any negative things enter into ourselves at that point. It was pure, idealistic, uh, unadulterated enthusiasm and determination. So to answer your question... Uh, yeah, you have to have a good idea, but there's a lot of good ideas out there, as we all know, but people have to execute it. And I think that the passion uh, and their ability to express that in a manner such that the value gets through to other people that you're expressing it to comes across. And so it's a combination of many things. It's kind of like a, I don't know, a cornucopia of elements that are required in order to just you know, move to the, the next, uh, next level. You know, there's, uh, I, I am athletic and I like to use athletic analogies from time to time. You know, the, the way to a touchdown, yes, there's the occasional hail Mary pass, but those are pretty much last minute efforts. The way to get touchdowns is 10 yards at a time. And so, you know, we knew we had moved 10, if not 20 yards further and we were determined to get to that end zone. And we did.
1: How long were you working on the business before you sold it?
0: Uh we well, if you include the nine months of development from that breakfast on um and then releasing the product, almost seven years.
1: Yeah, and I think this is an important lesson there. I think, you know, these days maybe maybe some people, you know, come up with an idea but they don't have that passion for it and they're maybe focused more on how much money they can make from it. But a lot of the times that you know, when I've seen a truly successful business, it, it takes many years to build and you know if you don't have that passion for what you're doing it becomes really hard to to keep going every day and 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 to put in i guess the amount of energy and and uh enthusiasm it needs to to actually grow so so you made the exit you sold for about was it 40 million dollars
0: no 47
1: 40, okay And and then, how much of the business did you own at the time?
0: Ten percent. Okay,
1: so so you walked away with just under five million. Yes. And so how how did that how did life change for you and your family after that?
0: Uh, Good and bad. Uh, The good was there was obviously for the first time in my life a sense of financial uh, independence. Uh, the ability to kind of, you know, live my own life and do the things that, you know, I wanted to do. And those were things like typical vacations and stuff like that, buying a new car, you know, that we all kind of do. Uh, but it was just a sense of uh, that independence that was, uh, you know, a good feeling. Uh, but the, the downside of it was, uh, and, and this uh, was observed over time, It certainly wasn't an immediate thing, But I had young children at the time. And, you know, when you have uh, means and they know you've got some means, (laughs) now there's no reason for you to say no. And I had to struggle with my kids as they grew older to not have a sense of entitlement and to work hard, that the journey was more important than the destination. And, you know, so there were life lessons I had to uh, apply to them and help them understand. And I'll give you an example. My Michael, the actor we talked about, he was uh, still in college at DePaul University's theater school up in Chicago. And uh, he asked me one day if I could, you know, give him a million dollars in a trust fund so that he could, you know, when he graduated, have the means to pursue his dream of being an actor. Because at that time, you know, there was no income and no job and he didn't know what to expect. And I literally had to say to him, no, I will not do that. And I'm not going to do it because... Uh, I don't think you'll work as hard or be as determined to succeed and fight the fight. You're going to have to fight every day if you have that safety net. You know, I didn't have one and I don't want you to have one. And he didn't like the answer, but he was obviously an adult as a college student. And he said, Dad, uh, I really do appreciate you doing that for me by not giving me the money. And I agree with you. Uh, And he everything that he's done as an actor, he's earned on his own 100 percent. I mean, from scratch. And I'm even more proud of him because of that. And I know he is himself, more importantly, uh, than he would have otherwise been. So those are just a couple of the, of the differences. Uh, the, the third one I might mention, Omer, over time, you know, uh, I began to feel a sense of, um, oh, I don't know, uh, unimportance, um, uninvolvement, uh, fading away. Uh, because ACT was such a successful uh, experience in my life, I mean, I, we literally walked on a red carpet. Uh, everybody was using it in the industry and outside of the high tech industry. I mean, we were basically celebrities, and I, t- I truly do mean that. In the you know the high tech industry, I mean, I was speaking all over the world at major you know conferences, etc. Uh, a lot of exposure, a lot of wow, you're the guy, and you know, so you get the accolades. And then you sell your company and it's gone. And you kind of take a rest. You get off the fast train for a while, but then you miss the action. And I, I just felt um, that I was empty. And for a period of time, Omar, I would say uh, I was even a little bit uh, despondent. And I don't mean that in any you know, uh, negative way or I had to see a psychiatrist or anything. It's just that my sense of self-worth and value began to erode. And and I uh, didn't have those same feelings that I had in building something that, you know, was part of my creation and from my own loins and seeing the world adopt it and and love it. And, you know, so it was a day and night, stark contrast, um, mental and emotional condition that I had to struggle with after the sale of act uh, during the ensuing years uh, after the sale.
1: Because because you weren't the the guy anymore that. People would talk to, or, or I, I guess, yeah, I, I guess the, the, the sort of the party had moved on, right? <laughs> yeah, it had.
0: I mean, and like you, you hit it on the head. The the life does move on, and over time, uh, you begin to fade away. And uh, you know, I'm always reminded of General MacArthur's speech at West Point. Right? I'm just an old soldier that will fade away. And that's kind of uh, how I began to feel. And so those feelings uh, got to a point where I had to get back in the game. I didn't want to be, you know, not uh, going to the game. I didn't want to be in the grandstands watching a game. I wanted to be in the game. And so I, uh, you know, started another company that got my enthusiasm up equally as much in a completely different arena. Uh, but 18 months later I had to shut it down, but at least for those 18 months, I was riding high again on something that was a whole lot of fun and just, you know, uh, enabled me to, uh, not worry about, you know, sleeping or taking a shower every day. I mean, in the early days of starting a company, you know, you work your 20 hour days and that's all you can think of. Right. But I was back in that, wow, I'm at it again. And, and I had that, uh, you, and you can hear it in my tone, that sense of, um, Going back and tapping into my reservoir of wanting to create and the sheer joy of just the effort in attempting to do so, if anything came of it, so much the better. But you know, there is a lot of joy in just uh, uh, trying to execute on on your own idea and enthusiasm.
1: Sort of beyond that, the business that you just talked about that you you started was there any other business that you you launched or or did did you not? not sort of do anything in terms of starting your own thing until 2010.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we sold act in June of 1993 and, and uh, by the uh, summer of June, June, July timeframe of 96. So th- this is a three year you know journey, if you will, to get to this point, I had invested in the Michael Jordan golf company and it was a new company founded by the uh, ex EVP of Jack Nicklaus's company. And, you know, Michael was riding high in in basketball back then. And uh, as an investor, I got to hang around with him a little bit, which was cool. Uh, I don't want to certainly say that I knew him well. I didn't, but I got to be around him. And as I observed the uh, immense, indescribable adulation, I thought there's a business opportunity here and I have access to him. And I came up with the company that I called Celebrity Soft and what it was going to be Was uh, I was going to create unique games with already branded individuals. And there's a lot of marketing behind this, what I won't get into unless you want me to. But there was this was going to be a marketing bonanza. And it wasn't to create a game for Michael Jordan playing basketball. How boring would that be? Uh Michael's love was uh, golf. And so I was going to create this fantasy golf game where the, you know, like kind of a Flash Gordon, if you will, Star Wars, whatever, uh, where the ball would go through that first hole and it would go down to the middle of the earth and there'd be creatures. And, you know, it would be a, a real uh, test to get through 18 holes of the Michael, you know, the, of the game. Right. Uh, and I I went after his agent, David Falk, and it so happened that David Falk, who is a super Uh, Agent back then with all the you know Patrick Ewing the best NBA players, his company was actually using Act to keep track of all of their clients, which just Mm -hmm. helped helped my my case a little bit. Uh, And he said, "Okay, let's proceed. I like this idea." And so I had. thought I had secured Michael Jordan and had put contracts together, etc. And I proceeded to talk to John uh, Romero, the creator of Doom. And John liked the idea so much, he was going to put in a million dollars and provide me the game developers. Uh, and I uh, also went after Charles Barkley on my own. Michael didn't make any introduction to Charles. And I uh, signed up Charles Barkley also and gave him a percentage of the company as I had with Michael, just sweat equity, because they were great uh, you know, uh, window dressing, if you will. I, I knew I was going to do all the work. Uh, David Mitchell, Muhammad Ali's agent during this process also called me and uh, wanted Muhammad to be part of this. So you can already tell how much wow. it's getting to be right. I mean, yeah. this was cool. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, and Ross Perot Jr., who David Falk, Michael's agent, uh, contacted Ross and said, you need to talk to this kid. As he called me, he's got a great idea that you might want to get in on. And Ross Perot uh, said he wanted to put in $3 million. And so, you know, I was lining up the money. I was lining up the developers. I was lining up the business. Uh, And I do want to make a quick comment going back to an earlier comment of yours uh, as an entrepreneur. You know, you have to make a decision. Are you building a product or are you building a business? In my case, with Act and Celebrity Soft and what I'm doing with VIP Orbit software today, I'm building a business, not a product. Um, But getting back to it. So what happened, Omer, is I was really uh, meeting some very interesting people during this 18 months. But Michael never signed the contract. And it always perplexed me because David said, oh, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Don't worry about it. Just keep on going. Well, uh, long and short of it is I got a call one day from David. And Michael Jordan uh, told him to tell me and two other companies that he had sweat equity in that he was no longer interested in being involved with this and didn't give any reason. Um, And I won't tell you what David Fox said. It's not very polite, but there was uh, something that, you know, was kind of, um, oh, I don't know, disparaging toward uh, Michael's attitude because I think David saw opportunity here. But, you know, when when you're as famous and as wealthy as Michael Jordan, you want cash. You want the adulation. And uh, he wasn't even going to do anything. I had eight hours of his time contractually Uh, every year. I mean, eight hours, it's nothing, Mm -hmm. right? But when Michael fell away, uh, the whole business collapsed, and Ross Perot pulled out, um, John Romero faded away, and and I had to shut the business down. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and it could have been, you know, a lot of fun. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot more to it. Uh, And I I was back to square one. Uh, So kind of a roller coaster ride. And then what happened two years later, Uh, I got a call from Deloitte Consulting because of my ACT credential and now the uh, emergence of the CRM industry, primarily with uh, Siebel Systems, right, that now Oracle owns. But uh, Siebel really started, Tommy Siebel, the the true enterprise aspect of relationship management. And they asked me if I would be one of their three global spokesmen uh, to promote their CRM practice and, you know, with my credentials uh, obviously that gave me an edge as they saw it. And I accepted a position with them as a senior manager. I was back in the corporate world, flying all over the world, talking about CRM and, and again, resting on the accolades of ACT. People, uh, ACT was still on the market. It still is today in fact, but, uh, it was still relatively fresh and people were, you know, it was fun to meet me and, and I had fun meeting them, but, but it wasn't mine anymore. Right. And, and I did my job and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't with the same passion, that I had with either ACT or CelebritySoft. Um, you know, but I stayed there for a while and did my thing, and, and then I got recruited uh, to work uh, as the EVP uh, for the corporation and the general manager of all international operations for SalesLogix, CRM company, already publicly traded on NASDAQ. Uh, and I did that for a few years, but then they got taken off of the market by Sage out of the UK, and after the transition, all the management got fired. So. You know, I was management, I got fired, and I was back to square one again. Uh, and then, it, you know, I mean, I, I had my finger involved in a few other things. I've got some investments, obviously. I sit on some boards. But, again, they weren't my thing. They, it wasn't my creation. It wasn't my idea that drove me uh, at a level that uh, working for somebody else can't be achieved, um, as if it, you know, is your own idea. And so what happened, to bring uh, bring you up to date, Domer, with VIP Orbit Software, and our product name is uh, Viper, V-I-P-O-R. Um, in 2004, I abandoned Windows, and Act, you know, as a Windows product, started off as DOS, but it was a Windows product, and um, uh, I got tired of it. I got tired of Act, the uh, sage, the owner of Act, who knew that I was, still made me pay for a copy every year, and I considered that a slap in the face. And that, along with a few other reasons, I said I'm going Apple. Uh, my friends are getting Apple Macs. I, I want to get a. I want to get a Mac. I'm going to make the change, and I did. And so I didn't want to be uh, anything but a purist with Apple. I didn't want to run Fusion, for example, so that I could run Act uh, under the Windows simulator on it. And. And uh, so I had to get used to iCal and Apple's address book, which was a far cry from what drove me to succeed and what I, as a user of Act, as well, uh, wanted to have at my fingertips. And uh, but I got used to it. There was really no choice. There wasn't much at all in the market. Fast forward to 2007, I got the first iPhone, and fast forward to November of 2009, sitting in my home office in my robe. Uh, I was reading my hard copy uh, issue of Business Week magazine, and the cover story was apps and was all about this changing economy, how it's going to change our lives, the business opportunities. And Omer, when I was done reading that article, I literally stood up and uh, using some four-letter words, I just basically <laughs> said, you know, holy, you know what? I'm tired of waiting around for somebody to do this. I need it myself. I know how to build a company. I know how to design software. I know what it should do. I know how to raise money, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to start a company again. Back to where I was on that famous brainstorm breakfast with, you know, Pat uh, to, to uh, create ACT, what became ACT, was that same sense of I need it myself. It doesn't exist. So, damn it, I'm going to do it. And I did and that was back in two thousand, late two thousand and nine. I um, incorporated the company as a C corp in February of twenty ten, and uh, still at it today, trying to make a go of it. So that's kind of a, you know, uh, a quarter journey, uh, quarter tour journey of my career, if you will. That's
1: quite a roller coaster ride. It is. It is. You know, I, I'm wondering. Um, that was almost seventeen years after you sold act. Why do you think it took so long for you to get to that point of, of creating your, your own thing again?
0: Well, uh, good question. Uh, and I, at times, have thought about that, especially during the times before I had another idea, that being Celebrity Soft or you know, Viper, uh, I had a hard time coming up with another idea, as funny as that sounds. I mean, ideas, uh, uh, an idea that can be executed and that can have uh, the global reach that I've experienced with ACT uh, kind of set a baseline or standard uh, for me, if you will. I mean, I, I didn't want to settle for anything that couldn't be huge. Uh, now, I, I think most entrepreneurs probably want everything that they do to be huge. Don't get me wrong, but some products are you know, industry specific, or you know, whatever. Uh, very high priced, and, and knowingly focused on a very small segment of a market, and they can do well in that. My view, though, because of the act experience, was the world is my stage, and I don't want to settle for anything less than than what I could make another huge impact um, with to the world. And so maybe I put some shekels on myself, uh, self imposed, but. It's also that thing that just kept me at it and that, that churning, uh, that unsettledness in my gut, in my, in my mind, in my emotions, that emptiness at times, still in its own way were catalysts to continue that feeling of I got to get beyond this. And so that, that's one of the reasons, Omer, is I, I didn't want to settle for anything less. Num- number two, though, because of ACT and, and, and the um, success, uh, uh, immense success of it. Uh, I kind of was uh, compartmentalized, if you will. My area of expertise was relationship management. Going outside of that uh, would remove me from any ability to stand on that uh, credential uh, and expertise that I was uh, by default given uh, without hesitation by people, obviously, because of ACT uh, that I couldn't enjoy. And so I lost leverage. And so, you know, that also was kind of a, Uh, A boundary of mine, if not uh, an obstacle at the same time. Uh, But again, as as I look back on it, it's easy to reflect on it that way. Uh, I I guess during that process, as I attempt to reflect back on what it was like day to day, uh, it simply just left me uh, feeling empty. And in uh, in the search for and quest to get back to uh, something that in my mind, as I said at the very beginning, would enable me to achieve all that I'm meant to achieve. And I don't know what that is. And I won't know until my dying day how close I came to what I'm capable of achieving you know, etc. cetera. Uh, but I'm not after achievement. I'm after uh, achievement today. I'm after achievement to look back on at the end of my life, whenever that day comes and hope that I did everything possible. And, you know, in most cases did well, just like that baseball analogy. You know, I get a lot of hits uh, and a few home runs, life will be good. And, and that drives me.
1: So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Viper. Um, you know, this. my observation is that these days the, the CRM market is pretty crowded. There, there are a lot of players in that space. Um, and most of them have a, uh, a, a I guess, a... So, a SaaS version or or a a web application um, at the core. And then they may have some extensions that work on other platforms like Mac or Windows or iOS. Um, And when I looked at Viper, I don't think there is a web version, right? I think it's just a client app.
0: That is correct. Presently presently, uh, it's iPhone, iPad, and Mac native to the device with uh, an automatic sync, uh, if you've got, you know, two or all three of those Apple kind of devices. Uh, so we use the cloud as a conduit for the syncing uh, between your devices. But it is uh, a native app uh, based on the device. Uh, and the reason I did that is, uh, is two. Uh, quite practically speaking, <laughs> number one, I, I just mentioned a moment ago, Omer, that When I read that Business Week article uh, and I had the iPhone in my hand, something I could have only lusted for back in the ACT era to have everything I know about everybody I know anything and everything about, uh, kind of my on-demand instant recall photographic memory executive assistant, if you will, uh, I couldn't believe that it didn't exist. And so the first product that I raised money for was to uh, produce uh, an iPhone version. Because the iPhone was still only two years old, had a long you know, way to go, as we all can re- reflect back on how well it is done. Uh, and that was part really part of the uh, uh, limit of the vision at the time. Not that there wasn't more. Of course, there was. But it was really to get an iPhone version. As that happened, uh, then Apple announced the iPad. Okay, so now I raised more money to produce an iPad. And, you know, developing even for a native app uh, with the uh, sophistication of what Viper is, there's a lot of plumbing to it. It's not just a superficial, uh, you know, uh, one-dimension kind of app, which most apps are. Uh, It is a full-fledged application. And so it was expensive to develop. And then of course our customers were saying, "Well, where's your Mac version?" So there's the third, you know, version and all of that was done serially, not out of necessarily intent, uh but based on limited funds with which to develop. Uh if I was venture capital funded, you know, and had 10-20 million dollars in the bank, I would have come out with all of them right away. Why wouldn't I? But I also looked at the Apple world as a uh, world that had a dearth of solutions of this type, and that I couldn't believe because Apple, you know, as we all know, is very successful uh, and is infiltrating every walk of life today, even enterprises that uh, have historically been Windows only. So I saw the 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 Apple world community of users as a huge opportunity in and of itself. During that time, though, the the vision has continued to expand, as is the nature of things. And uh, so to get to your point, I I have a lot of people saying, when are you going to come out with an Android version? Well, you and I both know there's no single Android. It's open source and, you know, from a development standpoint, a nightmare. So the only way to get to it, uh, and we uh, do have on our roadmap to develop what will be known as Viper Web, so that now I uh, will be, you know, device agnostic and can reach Windows, Android, and all Apple users via the web, but Apple will always have a special place because uh, we build natively for that as well. Um, We we have been in development with a product that will be out this fall uh, that will take it from single user to, uh, and I'm going to be a little bit um, uh, opaque here, but a a very unique twist on sharing information. Um, And I'll kind of just leave it at that. Uh, but let's call it multi-user, but but not in the traditional sense that you might think of it. Uh, and I'd also like to comment on your uh, comment about CRM. I thought the same thing, and I do think the world thinks the same thing that CRM is pretty much you know everywhere. And what stunned me, and, and I will admit, it's about three years old by now. But three years ago, Forrester Research came out with a study on the CRM industry. And in their research, um, however, they calculated it. But as Forrester, they did it a lot better than I might thumbnail do it. Um, they determined that of uh, all of the CRM vendors in the world, and we're talking Microsoft CRM, you know, uh, Siebel, Sugar CRM, uh, Act, Goldmine, all all of them combined. There were less than 14 million people in the world using CRM. 14 million. Not 140 million, not 1. 1.4 billion, 14 million. And I thought, oh my gosh, that you know, Salesforce was included in that, obviously, right? What year was uh, that from? Three years ago. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's just argue in, in the last three years from that 14 million base. That uh, let let's throw I'll just throw out a number 50 million, probably not 50 million, but I'll give you 50 million. Well, there's over a billion users of iPhones alone. Let's just stick to Apple. Okay, half of them are kids. So that still leaves a market of 500 million. Okay, half of those are elderly people. Uh, Okay, it still leaves 250 million for an iPhone alone, right? Uh, You add the Mac, etc. So however you compare the numbers to CRM, there is huge opportunity. And that was part of what I Uh, you know, expanded the vision uh, with because of, because CRM, I would argue on, on one hand, has failed miserably in reaching the world. If there's such value in relationship management, why aren't more people in the world using it? Well, they aren't because it's expensive. It's overkill uh, people's own attitude. You know, everybody sells in my opinion, everybody, you might be an architect, but you sell your services because you've got architects that are competitors. So why should I select you or a doctor, lawyer? Everybody sells. So uh, and, and in order to sell, you have a network of people you connect with, both business and personal, right? You're building your, your base, so to speak, of where you can go to you know, uh, hopefully be successful in your career. Well, that comes back to people. And when you deal with people, you deal with activities. So what I I, I don't like saying that Viper is CRM. The only reason I do is because of SEO today. And I don't like SEO on the one hand because I would like to create a new category of software that I would put Viper in, but nobody would think to type it in and I wouldn't be on any uh, result of a search. So that's why I designed it to say a simpler CRM. Uh, so there's a lot of variables that have gone into, you know, the whys and hows in order to penetrate the market. Uh, but the vast majority of the world still is doing it the old fashioned way. In fact, uh, most people don't know this either, but the number one contact manager in the world, uh, at least from a business standpoint is Excel spreadsheets. And when I think (laughs) of, oh my gosh, people are trying to run their business on Excel spreadsheets. You've got to be kidding me. You know, uh, so yeah, yeah, there is a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of room for growth. And so, you know, can you give me, uh,
1: maybe one example of how, uh, Viper is, is better than maybe other alternatives when you talked about simpler. So what does that mean being simpler? Okay.
0: Well, um. Let me get establish a baseline here. So the concept of the architectural underpinning of Viper is uh, built on orbits. You know, that's why it's called VIP orbit software. And an orbit can literally be anything you want. And I mean anything. Your imagination is uh, the determinant of what an orbit can be. But typically they're... Um, you know areas of the country, so I've got 62 orbits. I've got everybody I know in Chicagoland, Silicon Valley, you know, New York City, etc. I've got my golfing buddies' orbit. I've got my board of directors' orbit. I've got my investors' orbit. I've got strategic alliances. Everybody I know at Apple. Uh, so an orbit can be temporary or permanent. Can be anything you want, and people can be in unlimited orbits. Right. So one of the things that is different about it is that. Uh, the most of the products we use today, and, and I'm going to speak at a, at a general level, uh, LinkedIn certainly isn't, in my opinion, a relationship manager. Even if it was, most people aren't using it as that. And even if you did, it's forty five dollars a month. Most people aren't going to spend forty five bucks a month as an individual. But it's not a very good one. And it's only limited to everybody in LinkedIn. Okay, But it's business only. Facebook for the most part, I'm just going to describe as a personal. Um, Yes, I know businesses can have their Facebook page. We do. But it's pretty much personal. So now I'm using two applications, some of which has redundancy of the very same people, right? But I've got to go to each application to do different things with. Uh, You know, then there's Twitter and other products. So what's happened in the world we live in today, Omer, is uh, we are having to go to a multitude of applications to do a certain thing, and like I said earlier, most apps are uh, one-dimensional, or just not very deep, uh, not very broad. Viper, uh, Viper is uh, one solution that manages both my business and my personal networks. And since people can be in unlimited orbits, some of my golfing buddies are also some customers. But when and, and now it's also what you can do with an orbit. It's not just categorizing people. You know, I'm after very practical things. I'm a user, too. I've never taken that mantle off. I want to use this in the most lazy way I can, in the most efficient way I can. And so uh, people in an orbit, um, you can send a group email to or a group text, uh, but it goes to them as an individual, uh, which uh, maintains more of the personal relationship. It also automatically archives in each of their records, curates, if you will, uh, that uh, event occurring, so I literally have a true curated, documented, chronologically listed, most recent to the oldest uh, list of everything I've done with or for you. I mean, I—that's why I say I wanted an on-demand, instant recall, photographic memory-like executive assistant. Uh, a, a, you can select subsets of people in an orbit. I can schedule group, uh, you know, conference calls. It's what I can do with an orbit that makes it so powerful in one solution for my entire business and personal life. And that's Viper in a nutshell.
1: So it, it sounds like um, you're, you're targeting, th- there's a space that almost Viper seems to be filling, which is it can potentially appeal to people who are, I guess, at the lower end where maybe they're using that Excel spreadsheet today, and they need something more <clears throat> sophisticated um, to go beyond just contact 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 management, um, and to sort of develop those relationships. And then I guess there's this sort of like people who are maybe using a CRM product today, uh, but maybe want something simpler. Um, maybe it's it sounds like there's a gap there somewhere that you're trying to fill. Am, am I kind of? going in the right direction here oh no
0: absolutely there's a huge gap uh so if you think of a pyramid uh, and let's go back to uh let's just throw out a number let's say that there's uh one billion people in the world today that are a potential target audience one billion that's a pretty big market you know i mean because again who regardless of the type of job you have regardless of the industry you're in regardless of where you live on this earth Our lives are integrated and intertwined with other people, and especially as you consider it from a business perspective, you've got to continually expand, develop, sustain, uh, grow, et cetera, your networks uh, from which you have a a reservoir, if you will, from which you can make a living and hopefully a very successful one. But without a network, none of us gets anywhere, right? I mean, if there were no people like me to talk to, if you just said, I want to... You know, um, uh, pro- uh, produce podcasts, but there was nobody to produce podcasts with. Great idea, but you need a market, right? So it's a huge market, and so that at the very top of that pyramid are those um, what I gave you fifty million. It's probably more like thirty million today, maybe, but I'll, but let's say fifty million. And then the wide base of the pyramid are people using uh, in the Apple world, since I'm still Apple only. Uh, iCal and the built-in, uh, you know, address book contacts, right? Well, those don't, those don't even know that each other exists. If I schedule this podcast with you, uh, it's, it, it's just text. It, there is no Omer, Khan, right? Uh, I've got to go to my address book to get your phone number and email address, right? So the two don't even connect. Mm-hmm. So it's that huge gap between in a, in a large sense, in a macro sense, if you will. Now I can continue to refine it. Uh, and and define it, but yes, it's a huge gap to go after. And I like to say I didn't make up the saying, but I do like to say uh, that your net worth, ultimately, however you define that, Omer, is ultimately tied to and inextricably linked with the quality and extent of your networks. They they are not mutually exclusive. One truly determines the other, and and could not exist without the other. So how are you managing yourself, right? How do you distinguish yourself that, you know, the problem uh, in the ACT era, again, different era, and as people think about, you know, a relationship management or CRM kind of a product, you know, people think, well, it allows me to remember data, collect data. Okay, so, you know, you like to play golf, for example, if, you know, if that's something you did, right? Uh, okay, I remembered that. But that's not what any of these products need to be about. And I think CRM, by the way, which is company only and only good for customers and prospects. If you're not a customer prospect, there's nowhere to put you. Right. Uh, right? Are other people not important? No, everybody (laughs) matters. Right. So there's nowhere to put them. And that was the dilemma I faced with, uh, you know, conceiving and what I wanted, you know, uh, Viper to do. I wanted it to manage my entire life, business and personal in one solution with no regard, no boundaries inside my company out, personal or business, who cares anymore, right? I
1: get it. I get it. So it's yeah. not really about customer relationship management. It's about people relationship management.
0: Well, yes. And I will say one more thing, though. And I think very few people consider this, you know, in today's world with uh, Google and LinkedIn, you know, uh, and remember, I said earlier, everybody sells. And, and why do we have to have that mental uh, and understanding and embrace it, in fact, is because we all have competition, we all do. No matter what, how good we are, we all have competition. Well, how are you distinguishing yourself from your competition is one of the ways that you start to you know, uh, get ahead uh, in winning the hearts and minds of people. In today's world, since me and all my competitors, all of our competitors we all have, have the same access to the same information that we each put out there in our LinkedIn page and Facebook page, etc., doesn't distinguish any of us. So how do I do that? How do I go about that? And and in that effort, it's not just collecting data; it's understanding the value of the data, such that I make something with it. Um, You know, so uh, to give you you know an example, let's say I walked into your office, Omer, and let's say there was a picture of you on a beautiful sailboat. Right, first words out of my mouth, and I'm going to record that you have you're a boat owner. Okay, great. I'm going to put that in my Viper database or Salesforce or whatever. Uh, my Excel spreadsheet. That's not what's important. What's important is is to start to get you to talk about what you love, right? So, Omer, is that your boat? Yeah, it is. I've had it for three years, man. It's my my dream come true. Really, what have you done with it so far? Oh, I've sailed it to Hawaii and, you know, up and down the East Coast. And and notice how we're starting to just, I don't know, uh, engage and have a camaraderie. And that's what these products are for. And so, Viper and other products that people can use to you know, keep track of people and activity data really is meant to help you engage better with people. And in doing so, now I'm beginning to distinguish myself from competition. But to, your, to add to your point, yes, it's about relationship management, although I will say I don't think anybody can really manage a relationship. I can't manage you any more than you can manage me. <laughs> right. So the only thing that I really can manage and what it also is truly about is what I call reputation management, because uh, you know there's two things, at least in business, to succeed. Well, you know there's more. You got to be smart, and you got a good product. I mean, I get all that, but uh, two fundamental things, two cornerstones, if you will. Uh, and and the one is uh, in distinguish me myself. My my, I've got to have those networks, right? That's number one. Number two, uh, I've got to work on the things that, in your mind help you formulate an impression of me that differentiates me from my competition. In other words, I can to a degree, but not entirely distinguish myself from competition. Oh, we're better, we're cheaper. well okay, great, I'll check that out. you know in a heartbeat on the internet today. but uh, it's your determination that you know what uh, I just like the I like what Mike said. I like the way he conducted himself. I, I enjoyed being with him. you know I could see having a beer with them. You know, those are the things that begin to move you apart from uh, competition, and those kinds of things—talking about you going to Hawaii, you know, on your sailboat or whatever—whatever whatever you did that's in addition to what you've publicly put out there. Those are the things that I try to find out because uh, if they're not out there, that means my competition doesn't know it, and it makes me—it ups my chances of getting a little bit closer to you because you've let me more into your world because I expressed interest in it and enthusiasm about it, right?
1: Yeah.
0: And, yep. and so these are some of the, you know, I mean, I, 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 some of it might sound counterintuitive, but I don't think uh, even today, uh, including many CRM users who use it more rote than anything else, and by the way, it's just a management tool anyway, and people know that, so they really put in as little as they can, and I know this for a fact because uh, they tell me, uh, to keep management off their back, uh, it, it's not used in the way that it's designed because unlike a spreadsheet or a Word doc or whatever, uh, a PowerPoint uh, you know, product, uh, this is about people, and people have hearts, and people have minds, and everybody's unique, and therein lies the art of all of this in using a tool to help you remember the uniquenesses of all of your relationships so that you always improve your chances of getting that home run. Are you going to get a a, no, I'm going to strike out sometimes even with a great product, but I'm going to improve my chances of being a home run hitter. And and I like to say, Omer, you know, I think most people and I'm not disparaging on anybody. Don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to make a, a, a contrast here. I think most people in business obviously want to do well. I think they think for the most part that they're doing the best that they can and they use what they know to be available to help them. Uh, but but a lot of people are, you know, simply 250 batters, right, uh, their batting average. Well, if I can take you from a 250 to a 350 lifetime batting average, you're going to be a Hall of Famer. I'm not talking about making you be a thousand percent home run every time you get up to the plate. That's not life. But if I can improve you by 100 basis points or more, uh, you're going to be wildly successful, and, and, uh, you know, that's kind of how I view all of this. It's all, it's designed for people that understand the value of building, uh, professionally building sustainable, interactive relationships that have their own ebb and flow over our lives, period. I mean, you, you know, we're all at the same, the longer we've uh, been in business and the older we get. Some people come and go, but some people from long ago reappear again, right? And isn't it great to pick up right where you left off as if there was never a gap? I mean, it's because of the ability to recall or even remember them because you've got them in your database uh, to stay in touch with yourself. Um, You know, those are all little techniques. And so there's a lot to it, obviously.
1: You know, the thing that strikes me is that, I mean, first of all, Mike, you have this amazing story to to have built this phenomenally successful product with act um, all those years ago to have it had a successful exit become a multimillionaire you know early on in your your career or relatively early on and then despite the sort of the roller coaster ride of of the the businesses that you talked about to get to a point where again you have something that is your own and it came from a moment of inspiration and you're incredibly passionate about it i can hear it in your voice in in terms of how passionate and excited you are and i think a lot of people listening to this would say well it's okay for mike you know he's he's kind of things things sort of eventually go the right way for him but i'm here i'm struggling i'm dealing with all kinds of head trash and and the interesting thing was that when we spoke earlier before we used, we started recording You told me that you still struggle with those kinds of things in your own mind as well, even today.
0: I do. Uh, I I think even more so uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, I'm older. I have less time. Uh, I'm not a millennial. I don't I don't have the luxury of another 20, 30, 40 years to look out. Uh, Tie that to the attitude I've expressed that I've not yet achieved what I think I'm capable of. And I'm in that quest to discover it uh and so you know time time is uh of the essence it's obviously more valuable to me with less of it uh, ahead in my life than than younger people but uh it is a younger person's world too as we as we uh you know most people know Uh, that's just the way of generations you know we all had our time when we were in college and out of college and changing the world well uh younger people are changing the world today and i'm having to adapt to some of those things so you know, I, I uh, one of the ways I describe it or think of it myself as an entrepreneur. Uh, all, all entrepreneurs have this uh, ungarnished un-garni- uh, enthusiasm, right? I mean, it's it's infinitesimal. Uh, we have to have that. We've got to express that passion and get people stirred up, right? Uh, but there, that, I call that the front office. Uh, but there's the back office, the the inner thinking, the, the what's really down in your gut that you're. Um, not wanting to share with people that you're afraid of, you know, I'm I'm scared. There's a part of every day that I live in doing what I'm doing now, and I did with Act Two and Celebrity Soft. Uh, you know, it doesn't change based on the product, but nonetheless, you know, it's a very competitive world. I wish I had more money so I could do more things, like come out with Viper Web tomorrow, as we discussed. Uh, I'm limited by that. Time is marching on. Competition is ever encroaching. I'm not achieving what I want to achieve. You know, can I can I raise enough money to make payroll six months from now? I need more developers. You know, blah blah blah. I mean, the, I wake up every morning, uh, both enthused and excited about another day to continue to construct. You know, what the, this company and my life is meant to be, uh, and to reach more of the market. But I'm also afraid. Uh, it's a difficult world to be discovered in, and it costs a lot of money to be discovered. You know, my biggest my biggest obstacle. Uh, which contributes to, uh, you know, a big fear is uh, because I don't have enough money to advertise. uh, Most of the world doesn't even know I exist. And so despite having what I think is a great product, uh, if the world doesn't know you exist, that great product is never going to come to fruition. Um, You know, how are my investors looking at me? Are they satisfied with my uh, my pace, uh, how am I dealing with the obstacles? You know, there's just always something and then there is fear, uh, the elements of fear each and every day of what I do. And, and I've got to get through those and basically kind of a damn, the torpedoes full speed ahead, Omer. And, and, um, I don't want to say deal with it. I don't, you know, maybe we could argue you can deal with it. I know they exist. I have to uh, continue doing what I'm doing in the best way, manner possible, despite those fears. Right? Uh, there's a—I don't know if I can remember it off the top of my head here, but it reminds me of a famous quote by Winston Churchill. He said something like, um, "Fear is not the um, uh, or no, courage is not the absence of fear, but simply the recognition of it, or something like that." Right? Yeah. So I recognize it but I don't let it stop me, but it's, it's there. And it's there uh, very evidently uh, in my mind and in, you know, my thinking and, and uh, sometimes it it does slow me down in, in uh, moving ahead, but I still have to anyway. So yeah, Yeah. I'm like everybody else. I, you know, I, I, I'm human. I, I'm afraid of failure. I don't want to fail. And, you know, but like I said, in an odd way, some of those things, as bad as they sound, also act uh, as a catalyst toward the positive.
1: Yeah. I think someone once said to me that, you know, having those, those fears and worries is just, it's a natural human emotion. And it's just probably a lot more prevalent when it comes to entrepreneurs. And it's not about not having those thoughts. It's, it's more about, choosing how you react to those thoughts and, and what you do next.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I, um, I do a fair amount of public speaking uh, invariably on the topic of, you know, uh, the illusion of relationships that we have in today's world, uh, primarily due to social media, which I think ought to be called social me because it's all about me. <laughs> um, and relationship management re- in, in its general form is really about you as I've described, um, but I but I like to tell people, you know, I, like anybody else, I like to go and hear a great speaker, somebody that's famous, you know, and of course, you're you're both in two great companies yourself, you know, Walt Disney. And I, I can imagine if you ever got to be around Walt Disney himself, uh, you know, people would be inspired, just like, you know, Steve Jobs. Or, and of course, you were at Microsoft and Bill Gates. Right. Yeah. Uh, and as, as much as I would love to hear them speak and would enjoy it. And I would, I would assume walk away with a, you know, some nuggets that would be helpful to me. The problem is I cannot relate to people like that. I mean, I don't think it is my destiny to be, you know, another Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or a Walt Disney, right? That's not my life. Okay. I have certain things we have to accept. Uh, but I don't still know what it is. I want to get to the, where it you know was meant to be. But, uh, so what I like to do and the people I can relate to and learn more from are what I call just the common man, the common woman, the people that are, you know, every day fighting the good fight uh, because it's common people that, you know, produce, uh, you know, uncommon or extra nor- extraordinary things. Right. Those people I can relate to and their stories of struggle uh, and working through it and what they face day to day encourage me and inspire me more than. Carrying a great speaker who um, may, in fact, be a hypocrite in real life, and we'll never know because we adulate you know, celebrities uh, yeah. right or wrong, good or bad. Right?
1: Yeah, I, I think it goes back to what you said about just doing everything you can to realize your own potential, and and regardless of how old or young someone is. Um, you know, I think the quote that you started with is actually a good way to kind of wrap up on this, that, you know, of, as if, let me get this right, of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been, yes. right? So yep. whatever you do, just do, do, do what you have to do. So you don't have any regrets.
0: Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, uh, God willing at the end of my life, I'll, I'll uh, ha- be surrounded by loved ones, and, and as i you know, laying there knowing my end is near, and I'm not trying to be cliche-ish here or, or anything, I'm just trying to imagine, uh, I, I hope to be able to look back on my life and say, you know, I didn't achieve everything I set out to do, but I gave it my best and I did try, as opposed to being afraid not to try uh, and regretting what could have been. And that's why that quote encourages me, because something that I do put my uh, you know heart, mind, and soul by, behind and into completely. Um, I want to give it my best shot and if it fails, okay, uh, it failed. but I, I wouldn't consider that I wouldn't consider me a failure uh, in that regard. And so what I guess to distinguish it to finish up here, Omer, is there's a difference between uh, doing something that fails and being a failure yourself. and I refuse to allow myself in any time, way, shape, or form, to, uh, emotionally, mentally, uh, allow myself to, uh, potentially be a failure as a, as a human being.
1: I love that. I love that. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's, uh, finish up with the lightning round. I'm going to ask you uh, a series of questions and, uh, just answer them as quickly as you can. Okay. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received?
0: Well, uh, as funny as it sounds, uh, and I'll go back to the act, Eric, because it certainly changed my life. That first product that failed, uh, I went to a, a CEO of a computer store organization, 54 stores across the country in the era where that you had to go to a store to buy a PC. And I told him we were almost out of money and what should we do? And he's the one that said, you two guys are smart guys. Why don't you go have a rainstorm breakfast? It's going to be July 4th next week. Uh, spend eight till noon. And... Uh, asking a simple question that humbled it was humbling, uh, and admitted failure. Right of a product, uh, we took his advice, and and uh, having done so, obviously it changed my own life and it changed the world. Yeah, so
1: that that re- that really was great advice. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what book would you recommend to our audience, and why?
0: Well, uh, no, good question. Uh, since I'm always about relationships and what I've done in my career. I can't think of a better book than uh, Judy Robinette's. Uh, that's with two T's at the end. Judy Robinette's How to Be a Power Connector, the 550 plus 100 rule for turning your business network into profits. Uh, I've I read that book. She is probably, uh, a matter of fact, I would put her in a class of her own. She stands uh, alone in the practical sense of how to view and develop and uh, sustain your networks of relationships and how to you know, uh, achieve greater success as a result. So I would highly recommend her book.
1: What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur?
0: Oh, boy, I, I, there isn't one. But uh, uh, I, I just looking at myself, sheer determination, just determined, determined, I mean, truly exceptionally determined uh, to uh, bust down walls and make a difference, make an impact. Uh, anything short of that is, you know, uh, less than what could otherwise be me achieved.
1: What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit?
0: (laughs) Need you ask me, (laughs) Omer? Well, I was hoping you would tell me something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I happen to use this product. Uh, The iPhone and the iPad version are free. Uh, The Mac version is an enormous one-time cost presently of $20 on the Mac store. But no, I I use Hyper. Again, I... I'm a user. I want to, you know, I need a tool, the right tool, to help me achieve more with less, right? And so, yes, of course, it's Viper. It used to be Act. Uh, There are many people still using Act, obviously, uh, but it's currently Viper. Uh, But other products that I use to not just rest on my own product. Um, I, you know, I uh, I love, you know, I do a lot of presentations. So, you know, Keynote, obviously Apple's product. I also use PowerPoint from time to time. Uh, you know, and Excel. And I, I do like LinkedIn from the standpoint of establishing a baseline uh, because virtually everybody's out there and you can at least get a sense of, of them as I did you and you me before this podcast, right? Um, and so, I, you know, those are the kind of the common things I use. Uh,
1: what's a business idea that you have, maybe a crazy idea in your head that you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time?
0: Well, it is a business. It's a different type of business. But my my second undiscovered, or unrealized passion in life is public speaking. Uh, And if I had another life to live, I would uh, uh, pursue being a a paid full-time public speaker. And if I had a Walter Mitty life, uh, I had the greatest regard and respect for our military, and I would love to uh, have been a Navy SEAL. Wow. Yeah. What's
1: an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know?
0: Well, I was co-president of my uh, high school class in Chicago, uh, with Kevin Cronin. And Kevin Cronin is the lead singer of REO Speedwagon, and Kevin and I are still great friends to this day.
1: Very cool.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you, you are a seriously connected guy. Well, I don't know that I want to say connected. I, you know, I, I, it's it's a different realm of, of of the Michael Jordan stuff. I You know, I could have commented back then, Omer. Uh, I was in a realm where there's people that deal with a lot of zeros at the end of their your name. Uh, and the checks they can write, and and I realize, you know, they it's a different type of people. Uh, there there are a different type of people. So whatever, I'm am am just a common guy.
1: And uh, finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work?
0: What I try to describe is uh, an enjoyment of other people and and learning about them and uh, establishing a likability factor. Again, my, my DNA is about relationships, so. You know, uh, joy in life comes from not only achieving uh, things ourselves and finding self, you know, pleasure in them for what they mean to you individually, but in in bringing you know joy to other people. And so, you know, whether it's playing golf and mixing it up with my buddies, you know, being humble, making fun of myself. I I, I I'll say it this way: I like to produce laughter because laughter is contagious. No matter. Who you are, what you know, religion you are, gender you are, orientation you are—none of that matters. If you can make people laugh, then you know it's a better place. And and I try to do that all the time. And I, I think you could probably hear that in my tone, because yeah. who doesn't like to be around people that make me laugh? Or I'd like to be around because they do make me feel better, as opposed to always having problems and worries. So. Uh, so that's, that's an attitude, but a, a physical thing I do like to do is I, I do like to play golf and, and I took it up late and I'll never be a very good golfer, but I do have a lot of fun with my buddies because cause we all mix it up and make fun of each other, which produces that laughter.
1: <laughs> and on that note, I, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to, to join me here today. I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, and thank you for sharing your story and and it was great. I mean, I know you've probably told the the story of Act and what you did there thousands of times, but it was really interesting to hear kind of what happened after and 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 sort of the journey you've taken to where you are today and um and the lessons you've learned along the way. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do that and share share your experiences with our audience. Now, if people want to find out more about Viper, they can go to uh VIPorbit.com. Um, yes. Or they can just search for Viper in the app store on their iPhone or iPad.
0: Yes, or in the Mac store for the Mac version. Uh if they want to learn a little bit more about me personally, they can go to Mike Muni, one word, M-U-H-N-E-Y, dot uh, com. Mike dot com. Um, and if they want to write to me, if somebody has that inkling, just uh, send me an email at mike at viporbit.com, and I'd love to engage with you.
1: Wonderful. Mike, thanks again. It's been a pleasure.
0: Omar, I'm uh, honored and uh, privileged that you selected me. You had a lot of options, and so uh, my appreciation is extended back to you as well. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Cheers. All right.
1: All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mike Muni. You can get to the show notes for this episode by going to conversionaid.com slash 94, where you'll find all the links and resources that we discussed today. And if you haven't joined the Conversion Aid community, then you should do that now. Uh, Just head over to conversionaid.com slash VIP and enter your email address and I will see you on the other side. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to
0: Conversion Aid, the podcast that shows you how to take your business to the next level and create software that sells. But things don't have to end here. Head over to conversionaid.com VIP and get yourself on the free VIP list where we share special insider content and news about upcoming episodes. Thanks again and
1: we'll talk to you next time.